This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Rangers are in Columbus to take on the Blue Jackets. Rangers looked very impressive in their season opening 5-1 win on Thursday night at Buffalo. Uh, you also have some Knicks preseason action tonight at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks against the Minnesota Timberwolves. But we've been talking a lot of football week six of the NFL um, already got underway on Thursday with the Chiefs beating the Broncos, and it uh, gets going in earnest tomorrow. And here to help us break it down, Connor Rogers, who well covers the NFL for several outlets, and uh, here in New York, part of the Jets pre and post game coverage on SNY. Connor, always good to have you on the show. How you doing tonight? I'm great, Pat. How are you, man? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well, thanks. Always good to talk to you. Well, let's start with the news that just came out recently. Um, you know, I was talking about how much more can this Jets team endure. I mean, I, I think they've done a good job hanging in there at two and three. They've been competitive, especially in the last couple of weeks. But, you know, you lose AVT uh, for the season. You are already without DJ Reed, Brandon Eccles for tomorrow's game. And then the news that Sauce Gardner is going to be out with a concussion. So I, I, I'll ask you, how much more can this team endure, Connor? Not much, honestly, especially against the, the upper echelon teams, which the Eagles are absolutely in that bucket right now. So uh, this is a tough one. It's a little bizarre, honestly. I mean, we knew that he was out of practice at the end of the week with what was designated as an illness. Robert Sala, who, you know, you can't really trust any coach when he's speaking to injuries throughout the week, uh, made it seem like that they thought he, there was a chance he could play. Now he's designated with a concussion, which is completely different, and he's out. So it's really tough because – Normally, I would tell you, you know, they could survive. They, they have survived. They survived last week without D.J. Reed, but without Sauce, without Reed, and then their backup outside corner, and Brandon Eccles is also out, like you said, Pat. It gets kind of dicey really, really quick after that. I mean, you have Bryce Hall, who's played a lot for this team at times, but, you know, Michael Carter's going to play in the slot, but who is going to truly be the other outside corner? And they're elevating some guys from the practice squad, uh, like Craig James, to help alongside that, which puts – a lot more pressure on the pass rush. It puts a lot more pressure on the safeties on the back end where they've already dealt with injuries throughout the year as well. And then the biggest one, no duh, they got to score more points, which has been a question for a lot much of the year as well since Aaron Rodgers went down four plays into the season. So a lot of teams are going through it. It's the war of attrition in the NFL. But the Jets, it felt like it feels like have been hit um, at the biggest spots on their roster so far this season. You, you, you talk about the offense. It, it's still hard for me to get out of my mind what I saw from Zach Wilson in the second half of Kansas City, uh, just seeing it on, sure. on that stage. I mean, it, it looked good, and not good for Zach Wilson. It looked legitimately good. Um, you mentioned they have to score more points. You know, they had 24 against Denver last week until the, the scoop and score sealed that win last week. How would you categorize the offense's performance last week? And we, I know Brees Hall was fantastic. We know that. How would you categorize the offense as a whole and specifically Zach Wilson last week in Denver? I think a little up and down. I, I think and not all that is on Zach, who, like you said, the last two weeks have shown, you know, much more promising flashes. Kansas City, absolutely. I think – Number one, the play calling, I thought, took a dive in the Denver game compared to Kansas City. They weren't as aggressive on first down. The Eagles are a team that you can be aggressive against on first downs. You can kind of catch teams off guard using the play action um, game to get the quarterback going. And they need to trust Zach to do that if they want to beat the Eagles, if they want to pull off an upset where they're underdogs by at least a touchdown. So I think when you look at it like that, that's number one for them is they, they got to take the training wheels off and let him play. And it felt like they went into the Kansas city game kind of thinking it was house money because it was the chiefs. And it's no surprise. That's the most loose. The offense looked, they were very, very aggressive. Once they got into that 17 to nothing hole, 
I think they need to start weeks like that. They need to come into their game scripts and say, hey, on first down, we could drop back and throw rather than go run, run, pass, because that's putting our quarterback in more advantageous situations rather than a constant third and longs where an injured offensive line can't pass protect. And a lot of offensive lines across the NFL can't pass protect on third and longs. But now I know Elijah Vera Tucker, who was looking great at right tackle, so they've dealt with depth questions there as well. So, yeah, I mean, they need to – if they want Zach Wilson to continue to grow, they need to allow him to grow. They can't play games where they're afraid of the turnover, where they're afraid of him making a mistake because really good teams make mistakes all the time, and it's how they bounce back from them. And the Jets have a great defense, and I know you know Sunday's a little bit of a challenge because they're going to be missing some of their key guys. But if they have a great defense, they can recover from making mistakes, but you need to take chances against the best teams. And that's what they did against the Chiefs. I thought they were a little bit more conservative against Denver, probably because they thought, and they were right, they had the better roster against Denver, but that is not the case against Philadelphia, and they'll have to revert back to what we saw two weeks ago on Sunday Night Football at home against Kansas City. Connor Rogers, our guest, when you look at this matchup against Philadelphia tomorrow, even if AVT was active, available as he had been all season long, it it still would have been a great concern the Jets' offensive line against that front of Philadelphia. How do you look at that matchup now? I mean, how can the Jets piece this together to protect their quarterback? Well, the good news for the Jets is the Eagles will be down maybe their best pure pass rusher right now, and that's rookie Jalen Carter, who everybody knows could have been the number one pick in last year's draft. He had some off-the-field concerns that caused him to drop. The Eagles felt like they had the infrastructure to take a chance on a player like that. He's rewarded them early in the season where he's one of the favorites to be the defensive rookie of the year. He's going to be down in this game, and so is Darius Slay. Um, so when you look at them missing their top corner and their maybe honestly most talented interior defensive lineman, that's saying something. But this is still a team that has Jordan Davis to stuff the run. They have Fletcher Cox, who's still a good player at his age. They have edge pass rush talent with speed and Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, and Nolan Smith. So, I think for the Jets, it's going to be tough to run against the Eagles. The Eagles are a stout run defense. They have a deep rotation in their front seven. And they're a team that, once again, you know, can show you a lot of different looks and make things frustrating if you start to become a predictable offense. And that's why you do have to try to capitalize on first downs by throwing, and most notably throwing in the middle of the field, where the Eagles are you – can, you can take advantage of the middle of the field against them to your tight ends. And Zach Wilson has been leaning on Tyler Conklin. So when you look at this defense for Philadelphia – it's a really good unit. They're well-coached. They have a lot of talent, but they will be missing some of that talent tomorrow like the Jets will be missing theirs, and you can't play afraid against them. If you, if you just go very protect the ball, grind out the game with the run, you're not going to stand a chance against them because they're not going to allow you to do that. They're going to make you throw. They're going to make you challenge their secondary. They're going to make you challenge their linebackers in coverage. If you stay static and try to run right at such a deep, heavy front with a lot of talent to get off blocks, it's going to be a long day. And I know the Jets love Brees Hall, and Brees Hall is going to be involved heavily because he has to be, but it can't just be like it was against Denver where it feels like it's all Brees Hall. Well, two questions about Brees Hall. Are, are, are you, how shocked are you at how good he is coming off the injury? And is he a top five running back in the NFL right now? I mean, to answer the last one, absolutely. It's, it, no doubt about that. And I think it's, you know, it is shocking because – the GPS numbers he's hitting is absolutely insane coming off of that injury. I mean, straight line speed, it's all there. And he, he's been timed really as the fastest player in the NFL out of anybody not on the Miami Dolphins. And I know that's kind of funny to say, but it's that true. And you look at what they have and Tyreek Hill and Devon A. Chain and, and a lot of different skill talent there. I mean, it, then it's Brees. So when you look at that, 
I mean, yes, there are guys like B. John Robinson and Christian McCaffrey that are a little bit different players and can catch the, you know, be a little bit more effective in the pass game. But when you look at the big play threat that Brees has in the NFL, it's rare. And it completely changes the discourse of do running backs matter? Because when you can turn around and easily hand the ball to somebody in your offense and he's a threat to go the distance every single time because of the angles he creates or eliminates, the vision he has, and the way he can really uh, stress the back end of the defense, it's problematic and it completely alters everything and it forces you to kind of – this goes back to my whole original point about getting Zach Wilson working off play action on earlier downs. When the Jets do that, you're seeing the entire middle of the field bite down on Brees because they have to. Because if you are late reading your keys against the run against Brees Hall, you're in really big trouble. He's going to beat you and he's going to go the distance. So forcing that much of the defensive attention on Brees Hall off play action creates so much space in the, in the field for the Jets. And we saw Zach hit a really nice throw to Garrett Wilson off of that last week as well. So he's a difference maker. Uh, the Jets are really, really fortunate to have him. It's good scouting that they took him with a top 40 pick. And it's just amazing. His recovery is pretty remarkable. When you look at the recoveries around the league, uh, you know, from those kind of torn ligaments in the knee, he's just one of those guys in the mold. It's dangerous to say, but in the recovery mold of an Adrian Peterson, where some guys are just different, different beasts out there. Connor, we're both in agreement that Zach Wilson has shown definite signs of progress the last two weeks, but it's, it's a two week or maybe even a game and a half sample size, you know, is there a world, the trade deadline is, what, two weeks away? It's I think it's right around Halloween. Um, is there a world in which this Sunday he implodes against a top-flight team and a top-flight Eagles defense and the rest of the team looks like it's intact and is playoff contender level and, and he looks like he's not the answer? Is there a world where the Jets make a move at quarterback before the trade deadline? I think there's a world. I would say never be surprised. I think when it comes – because you do have to evaluate in the full sample size, right? And, and Pat, to really illuminate your point of the question, if Zach is bad against the Eagles, the Jets go into the bye, and what do they have to draw from? A good game against the Chiefs that they lost and, uh, you know, sporadic drives against Denver, and that's it? I mean, that's not sustainable to have success throughout a season. And something against Zach Wilson. He's been put in a tough spot, but – that's life of quarterbacking in the NFL. And when you look at this Jets team right now, I mean, they were built to win in this two- to three-year window that they have with Aaron Rodgers. And obviously they took a tough gut punch right out of the gate, but the rest of the team, you still have to do right by them. And I think what becomes even more fascinating to that point is you come out of the bye week and you have the Giants, then you have the Chargers, then you have the Raiders. And a Bills team you already beat with Zach Wilson I mean, those are winnable games. Yes, the Chargers are good. They're not great. The Raiders, very beatable. The Giants, very beatable. The Bills, once again, the Jets have beaten them the last two times You know, they've seen them at MetLife. So I think when it comes down to it, it would be a really tough decision. A lot of it is actually out of the Jets' hands where it would be dictated on what the market is offering you not even halfway into the season. Who's willing to trade away a good backup quarterback? Are the Vikings going to completely blow up their season and start taking offers on Kirk Cousins, which is a whole other rabbit hole to go down because then if Aaron Rodgers returns at some point this year, these are all conversations that are convoluted and very difficult, but more in the eyes of a Jacoby Brissett type of player being available, those kinds of things. Is that something that Jeff would be comfortable doing? getting them in here. And even if they want to say this is going to be our backup quarterback, but Zach could be a bad game away from that guy having to play. I think that's something that's absolutely on the table, depending how Sunday goes. Week six in the NFL, Connor Rogers. You could see him throughout the season on the Jets pre and post game coverage on SNY also covers the NFL for NBC sports and PFF. Um, 
The Giants, and I opened the show talking about this today. I mean, it's amazing to me because the Giants spent five years, you know, w- with all due respect to the 6-10 and 10 season where they almost won the division, they spent five years as the worst team in the NFL. They were irrelevant each of those years, pretty much. They, their season was done by now. And then last year was so special, we know what happened. It feels like, Connor, nine months after that playoff loss in or playoff win, excuse me, in Minnesota, the Giants fans are exactly back in that same spot with their season being over. H- how did this happen so quickly? Oh, man, it's a lot to go through, right? Number one is that sometimes records can lie. And the Giants had a good season last year. I think they were extremely well coached by Brian Babel. I think they took care of a very favorable schedule, which they do not have this year. The pendulum swung the exact opposite the other way. They've dealt with a lot of bad injury luck this year. But once again, every team does in the NFL and the good teams overcome it. That's playing in this league. But they've had bad injury luck this year. And the reality is this team was ahead of where they were scheduled last year, and I think it lied to everybody else in terms of the timeline. When Joe Shane and Brian Dable got here from Buffalo, it felt like it was going to probably take at least the first two full years, you know, you would think almost two to three full off seasons, and then you go into year three, the Giants are ready. And then the expectations they set after last year – get the timeline all over the place. And they're, they're dealing with an offensive line that is really, really poor. The Evan Neal pick looks like a disaster, which is a huge problem in all of this. Andrew Thomas being hurt is a disaster. The interior has struggled as well. Daniel Jones is a limited quarterback in this league that was elevated by coaching last year, but does not have the talent around him to constantly – um, you know, help the team win every single week. He, he's not good enough to go out there and elevate the talent around him all the time. And the other way around, the talent can't always elevate him. So that's a big issue. Saquon's hurt again, which is, you know, which is a huge problem when this team loses Saquon. So much of the volume, whether it's carries or targets in this offense, is geared towards him, and he's not an easily replaceable player. I think the defense is not built to play the style that the offense relies on. And what I mean by that is the defense is very aggressive. They blitz a lot. They live in man coverage. And I don't know if they have the talent to constantly live like that when the offense isn't putting up any points. So there's a lot going on here, Pat, with the Giants right now where I I think they just kind of fell off of their timeline. And now it's created a really, really tough target on Brian Dable that I don't know if he can coach out of it this time. Giants 1-4, and four. of course, they go to Buffalo tomorrow night. The Bills team coming off a surprising, disappointing loss in London to the Jacksonville Jaguars. A couple things around the NFL. The, 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 the NFC, it was largely thought before the season, the top three teams were, in whatever order, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and Dallas. There seems to be a top three right now, at least record-wise. It's San Francisco and Philadelphia, the two undefeated teams. And then Detroit sitting there at 4-1, and one, already with that road win at Kansas City to open the season. Are the Lions in here, in this group, for the long haul this season, Connor? I don't think so, but I think they're a really good team, an up-and-coming team that most notably for Jared Goff is going to play a lot of their second-half games on indoor turf. And that I know that sounds crazy, but these are things that we track in the fantasy community especially. Goff is an entirely different quarterback in that controlled environment, at home, indoors, and that falls into the Lions situation that they are not going to fade away in the second half. So 
I think there's two ways to look at this question. Number one, are they in the same class as the Eagles and Niners? No, they're not. But are they for real? Are they a legit contender? Are they a team in the NFC? Are they one of the strongest teams in the NFC for the long haul? They absolutely are. And a few different injuries around the NFC can completely change, you know, kind of this vortex of power. So the Lions have been building this the right way. They have a great offensive line. They can run the ball with a workhorse running back in David Montgomery. They have pass catchers they can rely on, especially the rookie tight end. And Sam Laporta has been a really, really nice find for them as well. Their offense is phenomenal with Ben Johnson. He could pick his next head coaching job or his first head coaching job this offseason, and I expect him to do that. And their defense under Aaron Glenn has made tremendous improvements with the superstar breakout of Aiden Hutchinson. So the Lions aren't going anywhere. But when you look at what the Eagles and the 49ers, where they stand, They've been building that a little longer. They have a, more of a system in place with those coaches. But the Lions are on track to catch up, which really says something considering what those guys inherited when they got there. In the AFC, the Bengals, a Super Bowl contender favorite, according to many before the season, 49 points their first four games combined. They scored 34 last week. From what you saw of Joe Burrow in that game, um, are they once again in position where you would consider them a contender for the Super Bowl? I would. Now, I think the Super Bowl is always rich, but they're in that conversation. I think most importantly, Pat, this, nobody ran away with this division, and now they're going to be able to climb out and take it again, right? Uh, the Steelers and Ravens have kind of canceled each other out in a weird way. The Browns, with you know, they have a great defense. Deshaun Watson hasn't really looked great, and now he's hurt. And, and the Bengals, who guys are classic Bengals, slow star, and it really coincided with Burrow not looking right. Now you look at Burrow last week, and he looks spry. He looked like he could move around. He with T. Higgins out, he's fully leaning on Jamar Chase, and Jamar Chase only gets better the more you give him the ball. And in his own words, he's always open. So I think for the – and here's another thing. Look at the AFC. Nobody's running away in the AFC. So that's why the Bengals are absolutely right in this picture where if they get in the playoffs, and I fully expect them to bounce back and do that, anything could happen because they have one of the best quarterbacks on planet Earth. They have a well-coached, veteran-heavy defense that's been in this spot before. And the division did not run away from them at all, and they're in position uh, to be just fine. Connor, as always, I appreciate the time. Busy day for you tomorrow on SNY with the pre- and post-game coverage of the Jets. So enjoy that, and we'll talk to you down the line. Thanks so much, Pat. Always good talking to you. Appreciate you having me. Same to you. That's Connor Rogers of SNY. Covers the NFL for uh, multiple outlets, including NBC Sports. Some uh, interesting thoughts there ahead of the Jets and the Eagles tomorrow afternoon, which, of course, you can also hear uh, right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Our coverage beginning at 2.25. We got a little bit more uh, than an hour to play with. Uh, I'm going to have some thoughts on the baseball playoffs in context to a team we haven't spoken about a lot lately. The New York Yankees. Remember them? You might have forgotten about them because they really haven't made much noise since the beginning of September. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. The phone lines back up. Great job by Connor Rogers. Terrific guest. Always has great insight on not only the local teams, but throughout the NFL. It's week six underway. The Chiefs beat the Broncos uh, the other night. We got another London game tomorrow morning, and uh, and away we go. Tomorrow morning, you have the Ravens and the Titans, a 9.30 kickoff here in New York. Um, Eagles-Jets, 4.25. Of course, you can hear it on 98.7. Giants-Bills is the Sunday nighter from Buffalo tomorrow. Bills, as good as they are, they're 3-2. and two. 
Giants, <laughs> as bad as they are, somehow they're one and four. Haven't done a lot of baseball outside of the playoff format, which we touched on uh, last hour. Um, a friend of mine, Yankee fan, sent me a tweet yesterday. Uh, it was a screenshot of a tweet that had been reposted. The tweet originally was uh, tweeted by Brian Hoke, who you hear a lot here on ESPN New York, covers the Yankees and has for a long time for MLB.com. The tweet was from December 10th, 2018. Um, it was right after Aaron Boone's first season as Yankees manager in 2018, just to give you some context. Remember, uh, 2017, Girardi's last year, that was the year of the Baby Bombers, and the Yankees went to Game 7 of the ALCS when they lost to Houston. Houston went on to win the World Series that year. The Yankees probably that year, a year ahead of uh, ahead of their timeline. That was, and I've said this often, that 2017 Yankees team was probably the only time this century where the Yankees actually exceeded expectations. But what happened, and we just spoke about this with Connor Rogers in the context of the Giants, what the Giants did last year, as surprising as it was, actually ex- increased the expectations for this season, and the Giants are now falling victim to that among other things. Same thing happened to the Yankees in 2018. They actually had a good regular season record-wise. The Red Sox were fantastic. Yankees ended up losing to the Red Sox in four in the ALDS. Red Sox went on to win the World Series. So that offseason, Bryce Harper is a free agent. His contract has expired with the Washington Nationals. He is by far and away the biggest prize on the free agent market, one of the biggest prizes in the history of free agency. December 10th, 2018, Brian Hoke tweets this. Brian Cashman indicated that Bryce Harper isn't a fit for the Yankees, said the team already has six outfielders, and that playing Harper at first base isn't realistic. (laughs) Just if you're a Yankee fan and you have been watching Bryce Harper and the Phillies march through October again, as they did last year, Just let that sink in for a minute or two, okay? And then as you're doing that, remember that Bryce Harper grew up wanting to play for exactly one franchise. It was his dream to play for one franchise in particular. It was the franchise that he rooted for as a kid growing up in Las Vegas. It was the New York Yankees. And as you're digesting that, remember or remind yourself, you probably don't need a reminder, that Bryce Harper bats from the left-handed side of the plate, a left-handed hitter in Yankee Stadium, which I'm told I'm no expert, or maybe I am. I've been told either way that left-handed power hitters do very, very well in the confines of Yankee Stadium. But Brian Cashman in 2018, December, when Harper was on the free agent market, indicated that he wasn't a fit for the Yankees. Now let's take this, let's take part two first, because that's easier. He, playing Bryce Harper at first base isn't realistic. Hmm. Well, um, Bryce Harper is now a first baseman. The Yankees' first baseman last year was Anthony Rizzo, who got off to a decent start and was injured in late May, and we don't know for sure, may or may not have played the next three or four months, the next three months with a concussion. He finally went to the injured list late in the season with 
um, post-concussion syndrome symptoms and never returned. Either way, the Yankees' first base position last year was virtually a wasteland, while Bryce Harper is now playing first base for the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, the first part of that, not a fit for the Yankees because the team already has six outfielders. Here are the six outfielders for the Yankees as they went into the 2019 season. Aaron Judge, okay, cool. Aaron Judge, I'm not going to put anybody ahead of him, right? Uh, Brett Gardner, Giancarlo Stanton, who in 2018 played 18 games during the regular season. 18 games. Judge, Gardner, Stanton, Aaron Hicks, Mike Talkman, and Clint Frazier. So those were the six outfielders that the Yankees had so much depth at that position that they really, really weren't a fit for Bryce Harper. Or more specifically, Bryce Harper wasn't a fit for the Yankees. Fast forward to where we are right now. The Yankees this year fell out of... Now, the Yankees will tell you that they finished above 500. They kept this incredible streak going where they haven't finished below 500 since 1992. And I will say, that is an incredible streak, okay? They finished 82-80. and 80. They had the worst possible record that they could have to keep that streak alive this season. And in order to get there... They went 22-15 and 15 over their last 37 games. And those 37 games were the most meaningless games of the entire season. The Yankees' season this past year ended on August 22nd when they lost their ninth consecutive game and their record fell to 60-65. and 65. Their season was done at that point. The final five weeks of the season were all about playing out the string and seeing which youngsters could come up from the minors and do well on the major league level. Okay? And while doing that, the Yankees went 22-15 and 15 in games that did not have the same level of intensity or significance as the bulk of the season before the Yankees fell out of the pennant race. Yet they're going to take those 37 games, add those into their overall record, and say, hey, we were 82-80 and 80 last year. We weren't that far off. The Diamondbacks won 84 games, and they're in the NLCS right now. That is just a bunch of garbage. It's a bunch of baloney. And you look at what Brian Cashman said in 2018, where he's selling the Yankee fan a bunch of garbage. And here we are five years later, almost five years later, and they are still selling the Yankee fan garbage. On that day, I was hosting right here that night, August 22nd, when the Yankees fell to 60 and 65. And if you had asked me then, in fact, many people did, it was a foregone conclusion that night that the Yankees were going to have to make some sort of a change in the offseason. Whether or not that was Brian Cashman, that was still up for debate. But at a minimum, at a minimum, you figured it was going to be the manager, Aaron Boone. And here we are, a couple of weeks, almost a month now into the offseason, and the Yankees have done absolutely nothing. I mean, the Los Angeles Angels let go of Phil Nevin. Their season fell apart. They don't know what the future is with Shohei Otani, but they're changing their manager for the second time in the last three years. Their franchise has been a mess, so maybe that's not an apt comparison. How about the San Francisco Giants? Because two years ago, what did they win, 106 games, 107 games? Two years ago, they were the best team in Major League Baseball, and they lost a tough, hard-fought series to the Dodgers in the playoffs. 
after a fantastic regular season. Last year, they missed the playoffs. This year, they missed the playoffs, and their manager, Gabe Kapler, is out. Two years after being the best team in baseball, their manager is out. The Mets. Last year, the Mets won 101 games. Buck Showalter was the manager of the year. They had a really bad week. The series against the Braves to close the regular season, losing the wild card series to the Padres. This year was the year from hell for the Mets. Buck Showalter is out. If things don't go well, franchises make changes. Yet here the Yankees are. They had their worst season in three decades, despite having the second highest payroll in Major League Baseball. And they have done absolutely nothing. Their plan is to run it back exactly as it was last year. It is such a huge slap in the face to the Yankee fan who has been calling for changes to the infrastructure of this franchise even before this past season fell apart. The Yankees have been underperforming in the postseason for a decade plus now, and nothing ever seems to change. And it doesn't look like it's going to change this offseason either. And the Bryce Harper thing, going back to 2018, that was a tipping point for this franchise because I've spoken about this again, but I've got some numbers, contract numbers, because with the Yankees these days, it's all about the money and it's all about the finances. Well, Bryce Harper, his contract matches up very favorably to who actually got that spot on the Yankees roster. That and your calls, 1-800-919-3776. Rangers hockey less than an hour away, 6.30 pregame show. Rangers in Columbus right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Breaking news from less than an hour ago. Sauce Gardner is out tomorrow due to a concussion. He was ruled out of practice on Friday with what was termed an illness. The concussion thing didn't really seem to be on anyone's radar until about an hour ago when the Jets announced that Sauce Gardner is out tomorrow afternoon against the Eagles. I mean, it's an Eagles team that has A.J. Brown and has Devontae Smith. The Jets were already without D.J. Reed. They were without two of their top four cornerbacks. Brandon Eccles is also out. And now they're without three of their top four cornerbacks, including their two starters, including their all-pro cornerback, Sauce Gardner. Gardner tweeted this out about 35 minutes ago. He says, I feel perfectly fine. That's the crazy part about it. But that's the crazy part about these things. So no Sauce Gardner tomorrow for the Jets as they take on the Philadelphia Eagles. I was about to say the high-flying Philadelphia Eagles offense, but it hasn't been high-flying yet this season especially the passing game. So, I don't know, maybe with the Jets down three of their top four cornerbacks, it becomes a little more high-flying tomorrow. But no Sauce Gardner uh, out with a concussion. And, and again, how much more can this team endure? Because you already lost Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, Tucker uh, for the season. Justin Hardy, their special teams uh, star, is also out for tomorrow's game uh, against Philadelphia at MetLife Stadium. All right, so my, my Yankees point, and, and back to Brian Cashman, in 2018, indicating that Bryce Harper isn't a fit for the Yankees because the team already had six outfielders and that playing Harper at first base isn't realistic. 2019, Harper was on the free agent market. What it came down to was money. And this was the conversation by anyone who knew what was going on at the time. Once the Yankees, after the 2017 season was over, 
once the Yankees traded for Giancarlo Stanton, that took them out of the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. And Stanton's first year in New York, 2018, was actually very, it was his best regular season. He played a full season. He had, I think, 38 home runs. He had 100 RBIs. Aaron Judge missed a lot of time with a broken bone in his hand. Stanton carried the offense. He was bad in the postseason. And ever since then, you know, it's just been stop and start for Giancarlo Stanton in New York. And we saw what he was this past year. He didn't even hit 200. And he's a shell of himself. So at the beginning of the 2019 season, the the offseason when Harper went to Philadelphia and signed his contract, Harper signed a 13-year, $330 million contract with the Phillies before the 2019 season. He was 26 years old at the time. At that time, Stanton's contract had nine years remaining on it for $270 million. But Stanton was 29 years old at the time. So Stanton was three years older. And if you average out the annual value of the contract, Stanton's nine years paid him $30 million a year and continue to do so. That's the average. $30 million a year are what the Yankees are paying for Giancarlo Stanton. Yes, Harper's contract, four years longer. However, Harper was three years younger and still is three years younger than Stanton. And the average value of his contract was $25.3 million a year. So what the Phillies are doing right now, okay, are paying $5 million a year less for Bryce Harper, who is three years younger than Giancarlo Stanton. And Bryce Harper has not been, you know, the model of health and playing 155 to 162 games a year. But the last two postseasons, Bryce Harper... First of all, he's won an MVP in Philadelphia. He has two MVPs in his career. Stanton has one. So, okay, the one for Bryce Harper in Washington and the one for Stanton with the Marlins, those are a wash. Harper signed the contract, won an MVP, tore up October last year, led a wild card team to the World Series, and now he's doing it again. They're in the ALCS. They just eliminated the 104-win Braves. He was an animal last series. He is that guy. Oh, and by the way, as I mentioned before, he always wanted to be a Yankee, and he's a left-handed hitter. That is going to go down. It, it, it's there right now. All right, if you want to ask the question. Now, the Yankees were a flawed franchise even before that. But what they did in 2017, that year, when Judge came up and hit 52 home runs and Gary Sanchez was still a force at the plate, even Aaron Hicks contributed that year. Even Greg Bird contributed that year. Luis Severino was a finalist for the AL Cy Young Award. They actually were the baby bombers. They were still flawed structurally before that season, but that season was kind of the culmination of a year and a half of developing their their, their prospects, their farm system, and they came up and produced on the major league level got the Yankees within a game of the World Series, and then the Yankees got greedy. The Yankees got greedy. Then they immediately reverted back to what they had been, the quick money grab, or in this case, the quick star grab, the quick fix as they saw it. And I've said it many times, Cashman in that 2017 trade for Stanton 
was blinded by how little the Marlins and Derek Jeter wanted in exchange for the reigning National League Most Valuable Player. Castro was blinded by that. It was Starlin Castro. It was a couple of minor league players. And the Marlins were even going to eat some of his salary. The Yankees obviously were on the hook for most of it. But the Marlins would eat some of his salary. Because all the Marlins wanted to do was get off that $330 million contract. That contract has become such an albatross in New York. Imagine what it was going to be had he stuck around in Miami. And that changed the entire direction of this Yankees franchise. Has Stanton had some good moments? He has. He's had some good moments in the postseason. Has he been a stand-up guy? And despite his struggles, has he always been accountable and faced the media and faced the music? He has. And those are admirable attributes. But that's not what you're looking for as a fan of this team. And it just reminds me of what the Yankees are doing now, what Brian Cashman did five years ago. Brian Cashman actually sat there five years ago and tried to tell the Yankee fan, this is according to Brian Hoke's tweet at the time. He sat there with a straight face and told the Yankee fan that Bryce Harper wasn't a fit because the Yankees had six outfielders. Among that group, Mike Talkman, Clint Frazier, Aaron Hicks. Bryce Harper, not a fit because the Yankees had those guys, and he also didn't see him playing at first base. That was not realistic. Well, Bryce Harper plays first base right now. Who did the Yankees have at first base back then? It was it was Greg Bird, and eventually it was Luke Voigt. And he sat there with a straight face and tried to sell that to the Yankee fan. Just like they're sitting there, and it starts at the top. It goes above Brian Cashman. It goes to the top in Hal Steinbrenner. Bryce Harper wasn't a fit because the Yankees were paying Stanton $30 million a year. They couldn't pay him 30 and pay Harper $25 million a year. They only paid Cole $36 million a year two years later because they got so desperate they hadn't been that deep in the playoffs in a while. And now they're feeding you the same line of garbage. Like, hey, we were 82-80 and 80 last year. We weren't that far away. We're going to... We're not going to be overly active on the free agent market. We're going to expect a better year from Carlos Rodon. We'll get a couple of bullpen arms to add some depth there. We're going to expect John Carlos Stanton to be healthy. And we're going to go into the season with the same general manager and the same manager year after year after year. And since those two guys teamed up, which is essentially when Aaron Boone became the Yankees manager starting with the 2018 season, the Yankees have not once exceeded expectations and it's going to be more of the same this year there the Yankee fan who thought the one silver lining about that nine game losing streak was going to be finally changes are going to be made Boone's gone maybe even Cashman's gone and we go in a whole nother direction that's not happening and they haven't said a word because you're distracted by the NFL and the NBA season starting and the Major League Baseball playoffs. And next thing you know, we're going to be talking about pitchers and catchers and nothing will have changed for the Yankees, including, by the way, most likely the results next season when they start playing again for real. All right, thoughts on this. 1-800-919-3776. Again, Rangers hockey coming up 630. Uh, and we have some Knicks preseason action at Madison Square Garden tonight. That's not on 98.7. The Rangers Blue Jackets game is. So stick with us for that as well here on ESPN New York.
They also have the ascending Anthony Edwards, who, especially after he was Team USA's best player during the FIBA World Cup, is becoming one of the, the bright young stars of the NBA. With the Timberwolves in town, Stefan Bondi, who's covered the Knicks for a long time, is now covering them for the New York Post, has an article today about how Tom Thibodeau and Carl Anthony Towns have, quote, squashed any beef that existed years ago. Remember, Tibbs coached Towns very early in Carl Anthony Towns' career. Um, going back to last year when people were trying to figure out the big move that the Knicks were going to make. Obviously, a lot of people wanted them to pull the trigger for Donovan Mitchell. Um, the That didn't happen, and that aged, that decision aged very nicely when the Knicks eliminated Mitchell and the Cavaliers from the first round of the playoffs last season. Joel Embiid's name was floated out during the offseason. He is ensconced in Philadelphia for now. James Harden's name... God help us was actually floated out there. And fortunately that never gained much traction. There was about a week period where maybe a couple of week period where the Knicks fan could dream about not this off season, but maybe next off season, Giannis Antetokounmpo being interested in leaving the bucks and being available via trade. Remember the Knicks and they're not the only team, but the Knicks still have a, boatload of first-round picks that are available to trade. And what the Knicks have, as opposed to a lot of other teams who have accumulated similar assets, the Knicks also have young rotation players who would be of interest to other teams in the NBA. And I'm talking about guys like Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes and R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson I mean, the Knicks have done a very, very good job drafting in recent years. The Jalen Brunson free agent signing last year was, let's be honest, it was a bit of a gift. Um, Dallas, even before Brunson became a free agent, Dallas completely undervalued Jalen Brunson. And about a year before he became a free agent, they did not want to offer him a four-year, $55 million contract. They wanted to see more from Jalen Brunson. And when they passed on offering him that contract, what happened next was Brunson became a borderline star, and he had some huge performances in the playoffs. And then when Dallas reapproached to negotiate with Brunson at that point with his father on his way to coaching the Knicks as an assistant coach with Leon Rose, his father's former agent, his former agent in, installed as the team president for the Knicks. Tom Thibodeau, great relationship with the family. He had his eyes set on New York. But the combination of Dallas misplaying that and undervaluing their own player and the fact that the Knicks were set up at a time when Brunson hit the free agent market, everything worked out perfectly. And as we know, Brunson turned out to be even better than we thought last year. But the one thing that the Knicks have not been able to draft or even acquire is the top-level superstar, the guy on the level of Giannis, the guy on the level of uh, Joel Embiid, although Embiid hasn't really been that guy during the playoffs, the guy on the level of a Nikola Jokic. And, and look, there's five, maybe six of those guys in the entire NBA. So look, as positioned as the Knicks are to be a top four, maybe even a top three team in the Eastern Conference this year, they are still in this waiting game where they're a piece away. You know, Brunson's their best player. 
Randall's their second best player. Randall is an all NBA player. Brunson played at an all NBA level last year. But what would the Knicks look like if Brunson was their second best player, Randall was their third best player, and they were able to bring in a superstar above both of them? Well, then you're talking about a championship contender. But in the NBA, that's why it's so much easier said than done. That's why so few teams contend, let alone win, an NBA championship. So that's the position the Knicks are in right now. But the article that was written today, and it is largely because the Timberwolves are at Madison Square Garden for their preseason game, still suggests that Carl Anthony Towns could be that missing piece. And and, and that's one thing that I'm adamantly against. You know, Carl Anthony Towns for a center is a terrific shooter. Percentage-wise, he's going to go down as one of the best shooting, one of the best three-point shooting big men in the history of the NBA. But if you've watched Carl Anthony Towns' career, the stats when he's played, and he's been a little injury-prone in recent years, the stats have always been there. He got an opportunity to play in the playoffs two years ago and was he was bad. I mean, he wasn't even just okay. He was bad. Single-digit scoring performances, well below his scoring and rebounding average, finding himself in foul trouble early in games and not being a factor. And for the most part in Carl Anthony Towns' career, his production has not translated to winning basketball. The Knicks are in a situation right now where, and I've spoken about this often, have the Knicks been too patient for the liking of some of their fans? I think they have, but I think what the understanding of fans has to be is when you get to the level that the Knicks were, the Knicks were, they were a second-round team last year. They were one of the top eight teams in the entire NBA based on where they finished in the playoffs last year. Once you get to that level, that last step to becoming a championship contender is especially difficult, and that's why this thing isn't done, you know, on a whim. They are waiting for the timing to line up with a star or superstar in his prime who's interested in coming to New York who's available. And that does not happen that often. But the point that I want to hammer home right now, Carl Anthony Towns, he's not that guy. Rangers hockey a half hour from now and more of your calls on ESPN New York.